Hello, everyone. I'm Harvey Brownstone, and today's show is about one of the most brilliant, successful, and yet enigmatic and tragic figures in the history of show business, Brian Epstein, the man responsible for the phenomenal success of the world's greatest rock and roll band, The Beatles. Brian Epstein was by far the most important and successful music artist manager of his time, and he ran a rock and roll empire. But what the public didn't know is that he was a tormented, lonely, emotionally fragile gay man desperately trying to hide his secret personal life and to cope with the constant threat of gay bashing, blackmail, extortion, and even criminal prosecution because homosexuality was a serious criminal offense back then. Brian Epstein died in 1967 of a drug overdose at the age of 32, and there's been much speculation about the circumstances of his death. Our guests have written a fascinating book on behalf of their close friend, who was first a lover and then a very close friend of Brian Epstein's for the last four years of his life. The book is entitled Hide Your Love Away, an intimate story of Brian Epstein as told by Larry Stanton. Our guests are Rick Marcelli and Robin Bragg Marcelli, who are well known in the entertainment industry and have had impressive careers in artist management and producing. Rick and Robin, welcome to our show and thank you so much for being here. Well, thank, thank you, you for having us. Yes, thank you. And yes. We've been welcome. looking forward to this for a long time. We 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 by the way, we we're big fans of all all, all your podcasts and your show and all of that. We love it. Uh, thank you so much. Your book is written from the perspective of Larry Stanton, who very sadly passed away earlier this year. Right. Larry was one of Brian Epstein's closest friends and perhaps his only real friend. I guess the obvious question is, why didn't Larry write this book himself? I've had the pleasure, and I mean that, of knowing Larry since I was about 12 years old. He was a guy that was trying to manage rock and roll acts. And of course, at that time, you know, being 12, 13, 14, that's what we all wanted to do back then. And Larry just would talk about his relationship with Brian very carefully. In fact, I didn't get a name to Brian until maybe I was well into my early 20s. But he was very guarded about it because he was very guarded about his homosexuality. I didn't know he was gay. I mean, for, for you know, it, it wasn't obvious to me at all. So he was guarded about that. And he was frankly scared about revealing that at that time. Remember, this is different times. This is now we're talking about the 60s. And Larry was kind of persecuted. He couldn't be who he wanted to be. Over the years, you know, he met my wife and he struck up a good relationship with her. Yeah, we had some wonderful conversations uh, about, and and we weren't sure who the person was. He would tell us about, you know, Zsa, Zsa Gabor and Sal Minio and, and, and a variety of, of, of other people as well. And I, I simply said, you know, Larry, these stories are great. Wherever, you know, you can now pull all of these out of your hat and write a story about it, write a book. And, and initially we were thinking that that would be something short. And he said, no, why don't you guys write it? I, I had discussions with him just because we all grew up in the generation and in the same area of Hollywood and Los Angeles. And I, so I would tell Larry stories about my father and my relationship with my father and you know, explain to him that while my father 
my father wanted to have children. And in a time when he was growing up, being a homosexual was illegal. Now, you know, I say that he was bisexual because he married my mother. And I'm, you know, one of four children that he and my mother had. And I was telling Larry that story. So, you know, Larry felt a little more comfortable because I was sharing these stories with him. So what happened was he started sharing some stories, even yeah. more so with both Rick and I. Yeah, he, he, he trusted because of Robin's background and understanding of what happened with, with her father and all. He just started opening up and started uh, saying more and more and more about Brian. Like Robin said, we encouraged him to write his own book, but he didn't want to do that. One, he didn't want to take it on. Two, he could have probably gone to the Inquirer years ago and probably made a bundle of money revealing this story. But he that was the farthest thing from his mind. He didn't want to, he wanted to protect Brian all the way up until his death. I spoke to Larry a day before he died. And he was always very protective of Brian. He felt he owed that to Brian, that they had that special relationship and he he wanted to protect him. So because he knew me for a lifetime and because he got to know Robin, he then entrusted us with his information and thought maybe we could write his story for him. And that's how that happened. And I think you've already answered my next question, which was, Brian Epstein died in 1967. Your book came out in 2021. Why did it take so long for this story to come out? But I think you've explained it that Larry just needed a really long time to develop that comfort level with you to open up, tell you about his sexuality, and then reveal who his partner was. Now, your book is important, in my opinion, not only because it lets us get to know the real Brian Epstein, but also because it provides a real sense of what it was like to be gay back in the 60s, especially for famous people who had so much to lose if their homosexuality were found out. You wrote that there was a hidden gay underworld in Hollywood at that time, and that in order to be a successful businessman, Brian Epstein had to become part of a secret world of powerful men you referred to as a velvet mafia. What did you mean by that? Well, Throughout my life, I've, I've met a lot of powerful uh, gay f- friends of mine, and groups stick together. And, and, uh, and the, the gay community was very tight. The gay community in show business was very tight. However, as much as that might be something that you would think everyone would be supportive of, some individuals used it against the, the, their, their opponent to try to take advantage of certain things you know, all people aren't good, you know? And so the circle that Brian was roaming in, there were a lot of good characters that were involved. And there were a lot of people that were jealous of Brian and jealous of Brian's success. Mm -hmm. Even with Larry, who didn't have near that success, there were people in his life that were jealous of him and jealous of his relationship with Brian. So the, the Velvet Mafia to me, in fact, I sometimes think about writing about it. I mean, I've met a lot of characters in my life that that were tremendously powerful and very successful that were all part of the gay community. I mean, you know, you talk about David Geffen or even my old partner, Ward Sylvester, who managed the monkeys and Bobby Sherman. And of course, uh, Bob Marcucci, who managed Bob, Frankie Avalon and Fabian. They were 
they had a keen eye, a great sense of talent, a great heart for it, and they were gay. But at that time, it wasn't the most popular thing to say. There were a lot of people that would hold it and use it against those individuals. Well, and, and on top of that, there were individuals that are involved in let's, the British government, parliament, and, and of course, that could be very dangerous as well. So some of these, these people that were involved, especially in that type of power, were very, very careful the circles of people that they let into their circles as well. And, and they held a lot you know, over everybody's heads. It was a type of well, blackmail on not, top of it's it. It's not only that, but I mean, there are characters that were assumed to be a part of this circle that we feel that were like Lord Boothby and various people like that. Scotland Yard, MI5 and the FBI were all sort of very scared about this rock and roll movement that was going on in the world, going on in the United States. You know, they were nervous about what the Beatles could do in terms of our youth culture uh, in the negative sense. So they were, they were concerned and they were building files up from our, from our research. They were building files on uh, John Lennon, the Beatles in general, and various gay people, one of them being uh, Brian. So they had a lot of information that they could back someone into a corner. You know, I mentioned that I think your book is historically significant because it encapsulates a time not that long ago when being openly gay was a nightmare. And believe me, I definitely remember that time. I think books like yours are important because I worry that the younger generation has absolutely no idea of what those who came before them went through. Do you agree? I, oh, absolutely. I, we I, agree. Not only agree, but we wanted this book. To, we wanted to reach out to the gay community and get this book in the gay community's hands. We've had the most difficult time doing that because every time we reach out to a certain group, it doesn't seem to be the right group that could embrace our book. But I think this is, is important for young people to read this because of the sufferings that took place not too long ago. It's amazing that the, the laws of homosexuality have just recently changed in the United States, recently changed. I mean, they were working on it in England in 67. We didn't come about that until I think 2000 or something like that. It's just quite embarrassing. Well, it, I've, I, I say all the time how much I wish that my father, I mean, actually both my parents, but, but was alive today. So he could feel more comfortable living his life, being out in the open, as much as I felt that he was even at that time, uh, he really wasn't. And it really took many years to, to be understood by many people. You know, I'm sitting here close to my wife and I, I can hug her. Brian, Larry, people of, of that time could not do this, could not do this. I mean, it's just so to hide that feeling, to hide that love, that we share, I mean, I can't understand how painful that must have been. I mean, it just had to be for all homosexuals at that time, for all gay people at that time, a terrible thing to go through. Um, and they're still going through it, some people. Now, one of the things that really touched me so deeply was the fact that Brian Epstein was good friends with Salminio, who also died tragically in a gay bashing and who actually had a premonition about his death in a dream that he told Brian and Larry about. 
And Brian Epstein was also gay bashed, wasn't he? Oh, multiple yes. times. Multiple yes. times. And people uh, would take advantage of that. And Brian was beat up in various different uh, stages of his life just for being gay. And, you know, the great thing about it is his mother really understood Brian and embraced Brian. That was, he did have his mother's support. His father, not so much, but eventually probably got there. For, for Brian, after he, his family realized what his preferences were in relationships, I, it didn't go over so well, but except for his mother. You know, I just want people to live and to be able to share their feelings to other people without being ridiculed. It just so saddens me that it's taking so long to get there. And we're not even there now. We're, we're better, but we're not there. And like you said, it is important for the young generation to understand, to hear the stories, because many people from this generation that, that have survived the struggles are still struggling. They don't open up and share their stories. That's no. right. Now, although your book is not specifically about the Beatles, it contains some really interesting information about them. For example, it was Brian Epstein's idea that the Beatles should wear suits so that the parents of teenagers would be impressed. And you finally put to rest the long-standing rumors about whether there was a sexual relationship between Brian Epstein and John Lennon. I'm not going to give away the answer because people should buy the book and find out for themselves. But suffice it to say that Brian Epstein totally trusted Larry with some very confidential information, didn't he? That's Absolutely. true. Absolutely. Yes, true. yes. And, and through it took about a year to gather everything for us to put it together in the format for the story in the book. And, and we did a lot of fact checking as well. Because Larry's going from his memory and the conversations, and it was a while ago. We all have that older friend, and I, I, I got to be careful because I'm now that older guy, but we always have that older guy who says something and you're going, really? Did that really happen? You know, we're, we're not really. And you sort of have, even though you know him and trust him and, and you love him, and but you're quite, there's a little question mark. Well, what was fascinating to us about six months into getting the research material and writing the book in London, they auctioned off Brian Epstein's personal phone book. And in that phone book in Brian's handwriting was Larry Stanton's name, phone number and address. And so that really solidified for us that relationship. There it was. Even though Larry had a signed autograph book from from Brian that he landed up auctioning off. But that phone book that, that we, in fact, we printed the pages in the book. It's in the book. So you can see it. Now, I thought it was really sad that although Larry was such an important person in Brian's life, he never got to meet the Beatles, even though he was instrumental in arranging for the Beatles to meet their idol, Elvis Presley. Isn't that right? Yes, that's, that is correct. That's correct. That is correct. Yes. When Brian would come to Los Angeles, he wanted Larry, and he, he brought Larry into all of his meetings and, and, and fun as well. And when they had this conversation about Colonel Parker and Elvis, Brian said, can you help me make this happen? Can you help make the connections? And so that was something, of course, Larry jumped at. So he, he was did, thrilled. Yeah, he did the legwork. Yeah, he did the legwork. Yes. Well, I was really struck by something that Brian told Larry. He said, and I'm quoting here, 
I love the boys, my lads, meaning the Beatles, but I am not one of the boys, even though I'm a part of it and I'm certainly guiding their ship. I feel like I have no one to share my conquests, no one to love, no one that loves me back. That's just so heartbreaking, Rick and Robin, that with all his enormous success, Brian Epstein was essentially an extremely lonely and very vulnerable person. Absolutely. We believe that. I mean, you got to understand the four Beatles, uh, as well as the other acts that he managed. Well, the four Beatles had each other. You know, it's not like Elvis, who was just by himself, but the four Beatles had each other to go through that experience. But Brian wasn't always in the room. Brian wasn't at the recording sessions all the time. He was, where was he? He was somewhere else dealing with other issues, dealing with the business and dealing with his own personal life, which again, he kept very secret. He had a wonderful secretary who had all his you know, appointments and kept all of that in order. However, when it came to Brian's personal, personal life, which included Larry, those things were highly secret. He didn't really want the whole world to know. Now, the Beatles knew he was gay, of course, and his close friends knew he was gay. He wasn't concerned with that. He was concerned about his public image and that if it got out, it could hurt, like you mentioned, the lads. It could hurt his business. And he didn't want to do that. He was very, he was, he was very concerned about that. Now, Brian Epstein lived in England and Larry lived in Los Angeles. They met at a party in Beverly Hills and became lovers for a while. And then ultimately they became very close friends even after Brian got involved with a real manipulative opportunist and basically a hustler who's referred to in the book as Diz, Brian and Larry saw each other every time Brian came to LA, but Larry never went to see Brian in England. Why not? Initially, the initial request came by way of when Brian, they were filming the movie Help. And he did get an invitation to join Brian while that was happening. Unfortunately, you know, there was a, a family emergency His that mother. kept him from being able to do that. And after that point, Brian was busy and he was dealing with his other acts. And, and then there was this other person that interfered as much as he possibly could and, and tried to keep the name of Larry away from Brian's mind completely. So those were sort of the struggles that happened up and, until towards the end of his life where Larry wanted to go there and you know, help him. That person that you mentioned is, has been mentioned in a few other books. However, no one's ever talked about where he came from. And it's, it's Larry actually made the introduction to Brian. And that's when all hell took place, basically. Well, Brian's relationship with this man referred to as Diz is absolutely tragic. And Larry was powerless to protect Brian from this obsessive, toxic, extremely destructive, pathologically codependent relationship that Brian Epstein had with this man. Is it fair to say that Larry basically stayed in love with Brian even after Brian fell in love with Diz? Yes. 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 yes, yes, absolutely. You know, and, he, and that's that's why he was just so hurt every time they talk and Brian would open up his soul, explaining things that's been happening in his life day by day and night and how people were using him. And it just broke Larry's heart. And, and it seems to us that Brian sort of flew close to the flame. In other words, he may have been warned about the toxic situation uh, by a number of people, his 
own house uh, servant uh, at, at the time of the first one, uh, and and of course with Larry. But sometimes those the, that those toxic that's why they're toxic because for some reason you're you're driven towards that flame. Larry described Brian Epstein as his own worst enemy and a magnet for people who used him in destructive ways. He said Brian had a dark side, an insatiable lust for humiliation, and he could never fill the emptiness and loneliness that haunted him. Now, given that description of Brian's personality by Larry, I think that maybe Larry was lucky that he didn't get more romantically involved with Brian, because I'm not sure that Brian could have handled the pure, sincere kind of love that Larry had to offer. What do you think? Well, I agree with that. He didn't want to give up. He felt he could make a difference. But I I don't think Larry was dangerous enough for Brian. It didn't appeal to Brian's tastes. And so that's where Larry fell off into being this great person, friend that he could speak to. But, you know. And I'd like to think that Brian knew that knew it could become dangerous. And and that's why he kept Larry involved in his life, but but not to that level. Because well, do you think that Larry had a rescue personality? In some ways, yes, because he's always been that kind of guy in, in terms of later on, like I mentioned when I met him in, in my teenage days and him wanting to manage and take care of act, he had that same that same sort of managerial thing of wanting to take care of somebody, taking care of the act, taking care of the group. So I could see clearly that he wanted to take care of Brian and he felt he, he felt he could to some degree, but again, you know, Brian's for the most part is in England and Larry's over here in, in LA. So it's uh, became more difficult as time went along. Well, when I say that Larry's love for Brian was very pure and unselfish, It really impressed me that although Larry was an aspiring singer, he never asked Brian to help him with his career, even though Brian was clearly in a position to do a lot for Larry. Now, to me, that speaks volumes about the kind of genuine person that Larry was, don't you think? Yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. And that really is the type that that's the Larry that I knew when I when I became part of Larry's life. That is the way. You know, I, I felt that he was, and he his his actions showed that as well. Well, so now I, as we all know, Brian Epstein had a very severe drug and alcohol addiction, and his death was officially ruled an accident caused by a gradual buildup of barbiturates and alcohol in his system. But because of a suspicious phone call Larry had with Brian on the day of his death, a phone call that was abruptly terminated. Larry was very suspicious that there may have been foul play involved and even possibly murder. And he was pretty sure that Diz had something to do with Brian's death. Why didn't Larry ever come forward and tell this to the London police when they were investigating Brian Epstein's death? We discussed that briefly. Part of it was Larry wasn't sure really who to contact. He was in shock when he heard the news. He he really wasn't sure. Who do I call? Do I call? And if I do, what? how are they going to bring me into it? Are they going to even believe anything also, that I have to say? Also, for and, and I mean, all of that true. Yes, he could have simply picked up the phone and called Scotland Yard or the FBI or the police. But again, he would have put him in a situation where he'd have to reveal his sexuality. 
his relationship with Brian, and he was afraid. I'm going to share something with you that is came to us as a surprise. Now, I'm telling you, we really knew Larry, and we really had an incredible lifetime relationship with him. He had a roommate uh, for the number of years, and I always thought this person was simply that, a roommate. For about 20 years. Uh, yeah, and yes. we knew him, and we'd go to the house, and it seemed like two separate lives. And I never got the impression that his roommate was gay at all. When he passed away, his niece, Larry's niece called us and told us about how their, this relationship with this other man wasn't a roommate situation. They were partners. partners in life. And Larry never, never admitted that to us. I mean, and we were really, really close and he never admitted that to us. So I think that fear stayed with him, not only when Brian passed away, but all through his life. If you notice on the book, it says Larry Stanton. His real name is Lauren Stanton. In Brian Epstein's phone book, it says Lauren Stanton. He was still trying so that people wouldn't make the connection. Isn't that interesting? I mean, well, that's one way to put it. I think it's very sad. It's very emblematic of a generation. I'm 65 years old and gay. I came out in the 70s and paid a big price for it. I understand the older generation and what they went through. It's just very sad. What do you make of the fact that Diz seemed to totally disappear after Brian Epstein's death? Well, We've tried to do as much research on trying to find him as best we can and having knowing what high school he went to and various different things and his name. And we, we, and we also we had great connections with the FBI and we tried to, in, you know, you do some research with them and it's a mystery. You know, you know it's, it's very, this guy got arrested strange. in Los Angeles, got arrested in New York and was also arrested in London. And we can't find any information on him at all, which tells me he's never existed or that he was in uh, witness protection. Uh, I believe that he had enough information on the Cray twins and a murder that took place, plus Brian, that he might have been able to parlay himself into that situation. I can't prove it. We can't prove it, but it's sure. So it remains a mystery. It, It remains a mystery, but it all sort of leans that way. Well, at Brian Epstein's funeral, the officiating rabbi said that Epstein was, quote, a symbol of the malaise of our generation. But in my opinion, Rick and Robin, that's not at all correct. Brian's fragile emotional state and his substance abuse, which were the real cause of his death, were direct products of having to hide his sexual orientation. Do you agree? Yes, I do. I do. Absolutely. Yes, I do think his drugs, his alcohol, uh, the fact that he was hiding his homosexuality. I think he had issues all with being Jewish, too. Both Larry and, and, and Brian shared that, too, as well. So I, I think he was tormented. And here he was. The, the, the spotlight of life is on him. He's, he's managing the number one act in the world. And, you know, he's not comfortable with himself. It's just so ironic that the first steps to decriminalize homosexuality in the UK were taken on July 27, 1967, exactly one month before Brian Epstein's death. Do you ever wonder what kind of life and career Brian would have had if he had lived? 
I think he would have continued to be successful. I'd like to think that with help and, and being able to be open with the people he would let into his life, that would curb his use of alcohol and drugs. And, and that he could get on a path to recovery that would help him become a better person, his soul, his heart to feel better. And, and that would contribute to his success. As we mentioned earlier, Larry Stanton passed away earlier this year. He never got to participate in any of the promotion for the book, but I hope he got some comfort in knowing that in a way he's been immortalized through this book because I felt like I got to know Larry, not just Brian Epstein. He left us on March 28th and we would talk all the time. He was always telling me he was going to get ready so he could go across the pond and do some interviews. He was going to buy a nice fedora. He was going to buy nice, you know, it was always about clothes (laughs) and, uh, and he was always going to do that. Now I'd say the last eight months of his life, while the book was coming out, he started getting, he was under the weather and he couldn't participate in interviews. Uh, we would have him right here with us now if he was if he was well and, and living. And and with all the other interviews, uh, whatever we would do, we, we wanted to include well, him. Well, we asked him if he wanted to be involved and he's, his health, he just wasn't in the best position. And he didn't want people to see him that way no, either. Uh, Does it make you feel good to know that you have immortalized him? Well, oh, yes, gosh. it does. It's, and we've, we've told him that. I said that you were going to live, you're, you're, you're going to be, your name is going to always be there, out there. And, and he was happy about that. And then he'd say a couple of off-colored remarks about Diz, <laughs> but he was happy that he, he would actually was going to be the victor that he was, that, that uh, of all this situation. Now, so, I can't resist asking you this last question. You've both been a part of the Hollywood entertainment industry for many years. And Rick, I know you wrote a book entitled Smoke and Mirrors back in 2008. I'm just wondering if the two of you will ever write a memoir of your experiences in show business. <laughs> well, I, 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 we're working on another book right now about Marilyn Monroe, about her, her diary that she kept, which we had the pleasure to see and hold in our hands. And so it's, uh, we're going to reveal some things that have never been revealed about her and that situation. And to answer your question is that that could be, you know, something that we're looking at, but we do have a few things in our back pocket right now. It's too egotistical. So. <laughs> I'd rather write about other people or other situations to talk about myself. Well, I mean, I could, I I'll tell you why I disagree with that because If those experiences with legends and iconic entertainers are not recorded somewhere, they get lost. You know, when you go, those stories go with you. And that's how I persuaded Robert Wagner to come on our show, because these are very important experiences and stories and people who love the golden age of Hollywood. And in your case, you know, the golden age of rock and roll and, and the entertainment world would really want to have those stories. So I don't think it's about your ego at all. Well, if someone- Thank you. If, if so, I have my way, we'll, we'll get towards If that. someone <laughs> wants to write a, a come to us and write a book about us, we'll, we'll pay attention to that. But I don't think <laughs> I, I want to sit down and, and do that for myself. Oh, well, I'll, dis- I, I I'll do, disagree I do, on record. I, I do we hear, might do that, okay? <laughs> I, I do hear what you're saying. And I do think it's true that people that have experienced things throughout life can help other people with their lessons. So that they well, don't make- I want to mention to our viewers that for more information about our guests and their management and production company, please visit their website, marcellicompany.com. 
Well, Robin and Rick, I want to thank you so much for writing this book, which is so eye-opening on so many levels. And thank you for taking the time to appear on our show. Thank Thank you. you. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. We love you. (laughs) I love you too. And I loved your book. I think everybody should read it. Even if you're not a big Beatles fan, this is a book that needs to be read, especially if you're interested in what it was like to be gay back then. Our guests have been Rick Marcelli and Robin Bragg Marcelli, authors of Hide Your Love Away, an intimate story of Brian Epstein as told by Larry Stanton. My name is Harvey Brownstone. Thank you to our producer, Steve Silver. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for watching. Be sure to check out all the great interviews on the Harvey Brownstone Interviews YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe and ring the bell to be notified when new videos are posted.